Hello, folks. Welcome back to Hockey at the Rock. We know it's been a while. My name is Dan Roselle. That hasn't changed in this time. How about yours, John Fisher? My name also hasn't changed. However, Dan, you know what has changed? What has changed? The locker room at the Prudential Center. It is emptied. Mm -hmm. The people have gone away for breaks and or the world championships in the case of Jonas Siegenthaler and Nico Heischer joining Simon Nemitz uh, playing at the IHF tournament. Mm -hmm. That's And of course, the playoffs are ongoing where Florida is continuing to stymie Carolina in the same way they stymie Toronto. For the first time in NHL history, the first four games of the semifinal have gone to overtime. It's been very exciting in this round, whereas the previous one was very much not. Uh, as the Devils fell in a meek five games while they put up somewhat of a fight, uh, the moral of the story is they got buried in five on five and their goalies helped out 0% approximately. And the special teams were not enough to make up any sort of difference. Dan... I wrote this on the, on the site all about the jersey mm-hmm. that uh, the Devils the biggest lesson they can take away from this series of Carolina is they lost hockey. Yeah, I, I know that sounds stupid and uh, you know obvious, but too many times that especially in hockey media they want to put up a narrative saying, "Oh, well, you're not tough enough, you're not ready yet, or or, or you don't have this, you don't have that." No, Carolina had a superior game plan and played hockey to that game plan better than anything the Devils could do. They had mm-hmm. Lindy Ruff and his coaching staff had no answer for the aggressive one, two, two, four check the Carolina put out there. They had no answer for the swarming uh, of their defense and their play in the neutral zone. They had no answer for their very aggressive penalty kill. Basically the Carolina hurricanes demonstrated that they understand how hockey is played better than the Devils. And you saw that for the majority of the series where Outside of game three, where Frederick Anderson was terrible and Brady Shea and Brett Pesky were terrible, it, it was pretty much all Carolina all, almost all the time in the series. Yeah, it wasn't a good look for the Devils. It wasn't, you know, they looked overmatched. It was clear that they had expended a lot of emotional and physical energy in the seven games against the New York Rangers. And that's never an excuse because everyone's in the same boat in the playoffs oh, yeah. when it comes to that. But uh, I, have, I can't say it's bad. Um, to watch them get Carolina, that is, get absolutely goalied while still bodying the Florida Panthers in five-on-five play. Uh, just something the Devils could not accomplish because no. uh, the more we look at the numbers, the more we realize Vanacek just had a really bad playoffs. And and this leads yeah. to, you know, we'll, we'll kind of recap the season because it was amazing, but just brief speculation – I mean, not really speculation, just brief things to address for next season. It's clear the Devils are going to have to do something about their goaltending, mm-hmm. about their free agency, and about their special teams. Well, one of those things is something you always have to do. Free agency yep. is always a constant problem, but you're absolutely right, Dan. Um, the Devils, it was thought, it was postulated, it was lamented for the past couple seasons of if only the Devils had decent goaltending. Well, you got decent goaltending from Vitek Vanacek and Akira Schmid. You, you didn't get decent goaltending from Mackenzie Blackwood, yeah. but better goaltending in the regular season manifested to more results, closer games, and obviously opportunities to win more games of which the Devils want more than they have ever had in any season in their franchise history. So to a degree that those people who were lamenting the Devils just needed a goalie uh, turned out to be correct. However, they also turned out to be uh, incomplete in their correctness, I'll say, because they weren't inaccurate. The Devils needed better goaltending. They got it in the season, 
And in the playoffs, well, Vanacek just was terrible in the playoffs. There's yeah. no real way to, you know, we can't sugarcoat it. We can't no. say that. I, I don't want to sit here and say he can't get it done in the playoffs because that makes no sense. He can't go from a 92 guy, 92% uh, safe percentage in five on five for 52 games and then, you know, seven, eight appearances in the playoffs and he turns into a pumpkin. Like that that makes literally no sense. Well, maybe he uh, can't quite get done the playoffs with this caveat, playing the most games he has ever played in his career. Mm. Uh, up to that point and again yeah. nerves there's a lot to do with you're very excited to be in the playoffs you want to make a big splash and again for most of these players this was their first big experience in the playoffs and it came in a very high stakes series in round one so again lessons learned um and like you said this team deserves accolade this was by all mm-hmm. measures a very successful season for the devils who by fitzgerald's own admission at breakup day and his media availability he expected the Devils to push for a wild card spot, and what ended up happening was they got the third most points in the NHL. They ended up losing in the playoffs to the team who got the second most points in the NHL that's still, you know, playing on in the conference semifinals. And uh, they really announced their arrival while all the right players took the right steps forward. I mean, we were mentioning Dawson Mercer's name in the same sentence as Wayne Gretzky for a little moment there. Uh, we had Jack Hughes almost break 100 points. He probably will in subsequent seasons. He had the most points ever for a devil individually. Um, And again, it just was something where you saw them mature. You saw their resilience really grow where it had been missing in previous years. This was a team that did not give up on games. While they did sometimes have those multi-goal lapses that we saw, it's hard to remember games outside the playoffs, which is a whole problem altogether, where they were truly, truly out of a game. Yeah, you can count on one hand the number of games where the Devils would just be down two, three goals and get just say, yep, write it up. This is just not happening for one Winnipeg, reason or another. Namely. The Winnipeg <laughs> game is, I think, the most recent example of that. Uh, but before moving on to the team, I do want to give some flowers, props, accolades, praise, whatever you want to call it, to the torpedo, Akira Schmid, um, who I think more than anybody else on the Devils uh, improved his stock in the playoffs. He went from third string guy not even the starter in Utica, Dan, mm-hmm. not even the number one guy in Utica to being the call-up when Blackwood got injured to playing well enough in his call-up to get future call-ups to coming into game three against our hated rivals in Madison Square Garden and absolutely goalieing up our hated rivals Yep, to a point of frustration where I'm sure many of their fans are, you know, you know, gnashing their teeth that we have two 90-point scorers on our team and we can't beat Akira Schmid. And Schmid was very good in limited limited appearances in five on five and in overall during the season. He guaranteed a career mm-hmm. in this playoffs, a career, Dan. He is not going to go back to Utica. He's not going to go, you know, you know, become a journeyman goalie unless he turns into a total, you know, unless he's totally terrible next season. Like this is a guy who secured himself a career, and that's huge for what a fifth round draft pick from a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, a guy who. Didn't got rejected from major junior hockey after one game to go back to the USHL. Like this is a guy that more than any more than anyone else on the Devils earned it. And most importantly, Dan, he was the critical reason why the Devils even went to the second round. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to talk about who was the most surprising uh, performer, who who is making the goaltending situation more stable going into next season, even if the Devils do need to at least consider goaltending as an issue. Uh, it's because of Schmid. He torpedoed our hated rivals, Gerard Gallant, and 
I guess, Mackenzie Blackwood's career in New Jersey. Yeah, you're hoping that he becomes, you know, it would be nice to not have to search for that piece if he becomes if someone who can yeah. play with some sort of consistency. Um, because it's clear the Devils are still missing that very much. And again, we'll talk free agency when the season ends and we have more yeah. information available. But uh, as another fifth round pick whose importance to the team is unquestioned, Jesper Bratt was kind of called out in that media Sixth availability. Oh, we'll see. Uh, fifth round, sixth round. It doesn't matter at that point. It's it, at that the point, draft. they're pretty much the same. But yeah, I just I tried to segue. It failed. But here I am again, getting back on the horse. Jesper Bratt was kind of called out a little bit. Uh, I would say by Jack Hughes to say to sign the contract before you cost yourself more money in free agency with, uh, you know, potentially another disastrous playoffs, which again, if we look at <laughs> what the actual numbers were, the production was bad, but Jesper Bratt still did a pretty good job. Yeah. One of the struggles of this whole playoff run that we're talking about here is that a lot of the guys that produced a lot during the regular season, um, Jack, the big deal, Jack Hughes, he produced quite a bit in the playoffs. So mm-hmm. he's exempted from this, but I'm talking about, you know, Jesper Bratt put up back-to-back 70 point seasons. He struggled to put, you know, get pucks in the back of the net. Nico Heischer had the greasiest goal, I think of the playoffs for the devils. Mm-hmm. He struggled to score goals and he had 80 points. Timo Meyer, who did eventually get some goals going in the Carolina series, um, you know, missed also, of course, a massive empty netter in game five that would have been crucial but you know it is what it is at this point he did not produce very much in the playoffs so it's it's actually a bit of an experience that the devils you know got as far as they did with you know so much of their top scoring talent not producing as much as people wanted to and i find it curious that people are picking on mr bratt when you know again you look at underlying numbers at five on five the guy's going to the net he's creating scoring chances just like timo meyer and just like Nico Heischer, but I get it. You know, he go, Heischer is under contract for several years. And I think Meyer has that background from his time in San Jose to say, look, this guy, you know, he's, he's, he's a guy like he, he's a guy that you can trust. He's a guy that you can rely on to perform. And even though he wasn't getting points, he was at least, he was getting Shesterkin. Uh, he was everywhere. I yeah, mean, he's everywhere. Yeah. You look at the goalie stats from this playoffs, his numbers are just Sky high compared to everyone. Yeah, it's one of the best goal. Basically, yeah, it's one of the best goaltending performances in the you know in the last ten years of the playoffs. And of course, the Devils beat them. So you know, once again, goaling can can ruin you, but it's not a guarantee. Nevertheless, Dan Brett finished his playoffs with just a mere two points at five on five, which Mm -hmm. is definitely not good. He had seventeen high danger chances, which is third on the team behind Meyer and Heischer. you know, he created 41 shooting attempts himself, which is, again, up there again with Heischer. Um, It's behind Dougie, the big deal, and Timo Meyer. Timo Meyer led in a lot of these categories. Yeah, he was quite way. good. He like, was quite good. I, I think they kind of, you know, got jobbed in that first series. The problem is in that second series, while they still managed to produce all these opportunities, the margins just were not there no. to not finish them because they got zero goaltending. Exactly. Like, they, the Devils were put into a situation where – you're down three goals and you're not even halfway through the game. So yeah. if your top guys are not scoring, forget it. Like you're, I'm sorry, you're not going to get it done with Miles Wood chipping in a consolation goal or Michael or Nathan Bastion uh, taking care of Shane Gostaspare, not paying attention for a shift. Like it's just not going to work. And it didn't. Yeah. Um, but again, I get the criticism for Brat. You know, he's paid, he's looking to get paid like a top scorer. 
two points at five on five in 12 games is not not going to help your cause. Even if he is creating more than most of the rest of the team, you're getting paid to, to finish. So this is a long way of saying is, and I know we're not going to touch on free agency that much, but there that's, that's why there's more ire for Mr. Bratt and uh, the past, past negotiations were definitely on a lot of the minds of the people who matter thinking, well, is Bratt going to now walk into Ms. Fitzgerald's office and say, you know, pay me more when, it didn't happen in the playoffs. Uh, but though that's a, that's a point I think Mr. Fitzgerald is going to want to remind Mr. Claude Lemieux, Timo Meyer's agent, in a couple weeks as well. Um, but yeah, Brat Brat was a disappointment in the postseason, despite having an awesome seat regular season that more than proved that he's a legitimate scorer in this league. Yeah, and again, another player who made a free agency decision, I think, easier for the Devils is Luke Hughes, who managed to, uh, another good part of the season is that he managed to debut and contribute for the Devils uh, in his limited time. And he got more playoff games in than regular season games, which in mm-hmm. itself is an interesting experience. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it does make the Devils not as nervous about losing one or both of Severson and grave it's kind of a weird spot for the devils to be in where they got the third most points in the nhl last year and they have two of the best what three four defensive prospects in the league as well it's just kind of it's nice to be in the positions very a uh, hockey version of first world problems that we're ha- we're experiencing here uh, for the yeah. first time in what feels like a long time but again we'll get to all that as the season dies down and speculation can really start ramping up um, but but I do want to just you know thank this team for what they accomplished this year. It was so much fun to watch them um, in all the comebacks and all the road wins. Uh, what a road team this year as well, managing to set the best mark for any Devils road team, obviously, in addition to any Devils regular season team like you mentioned previously. Um, yeah, and I can't look, I can't confirm this, but I want to say they have the most comeback wins in a fr- in a season in franchise history as well. If they're I not, if they're not, they got to be close. Because... I think of any team, it was, I think 28 comeback wins um, yeah. over the course of the season or 26 comeback wins, something like that. They showed the stat a lot. Um, oh yeah. My and, brother and, and I would actually message each other knowing that the comeback would happen the second the stat came on at MSG. So uh shout out to him in all caps, comeback stat every single time it aired. And maybe 15 seconds later, the devils would score. Right. And and to be fair, that's not a slam on the Devils. I mean, our hated rivals were high up in that mark. Boston was high up on that mark. Oh, really yeah. good teams know how to assess the situation and go, okay, we're down one or two goals. We can still win the game, guys. Like, it, it's a mark of the team's mentality, which is a lot sturdier and a lot um, a lot more solid than it was compared to last season. Last season, you had Lindy Ruff calling out Andreas Johnson for not finishing a play when, when a, a completely different player botched a defensive assignment for a game-winning goal against. Like, that's the mentality they had last season. This mm-hmm. season, between Ruff and between the and the, between the players, um, there was a lot more, there was a lot less uh, jaw-jacking in public and a lot less, um, you know, excuse-making in public and a lot more getting results on the ice and taking care of business when, whether or not the business went well or not. I mean, there was that run in December where they did slump for about uh, close Seven to a two-week period. Yeah. Yeah, about a two-week period. And okay, cool. You you survived a slump, but that slump followed a 13 game heater in yeah. November. That and, and what followed after that was just you know a run where the Devils rarely lost two games in a row. 
Yep. Or even if they did lose two games in a row, they get a result in one of them. They go to overtime. They go to a shootout. You know, the, the team always found ways to get points and find ways to get themselves out of, out of tough situations. One of my more memorable uh, memorable uh, thoughts of this past season was Valentine's Day against Columbus, of all teams. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, Columbus did not play like one of the worst teams in hockey that night. Like, they were giving it to the Devils, and the Devils needed to rely on a strong goaltending performance. And it took Ryan Graves, who had an awful game, scoring in the last second yep. to win 3-2 in regulation. And, and 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 look, the Devils have been owned in Ohio for, for almost a decade. Like this season, all those curses against the Blue Jackets, you know, were went away because that that win over Columbus was sandwiched between, you know, two blowout victories over the Blue Jackets. Yeah. But uh that game. More more than a lot of, along with a lot of others, but more more to me, it was that this team really doesn't say die, even yeah. when they could have just pack it and say, "Look, it's a Tuesday night in February against a junk team. We're on the road. We're already, we're in a playoff position. You know, if we lose, we lose. Who cares, right? No, they they made a point of it to try to battle back in the game and get a result, and they did so in regulation and continued to pile more misery on a team that. I would love the Devils to keep pouring more misery on because I'm sick of the of the Devils losing to the Blue Jackets for about a decade. Yeah, and it's sad to know that you can't really bring this team back because it, it's a lot of great personalities that we got to experience. So we have a defense pairing with matching birthdays at Graves and Marino. That was yesterday, I believe, or two days ago. It's just going to be sad to see some of the names go that we have to see go. But again, I think every fan has the understanding that this is this is the part of the rebuild that feels the most like it is starting to manifest. While everything else was sold to us as, you know, manifestations of a rebuild, it, it seemed like anytime they came close, they just filled out with pieces to try and get to the finish line, and none of them panned out. Whereas in this case, the slow approach seems to have finally worked, and we're excited to see what's coming next for the team. And that slow approach has led to some interest in how this team was developed namely by other teams in terms of their own general manager positions, as uh, there are several openings now in the NHL, um, several interesting ones and maybe unexpected ones. I mean, the Penguins one was expected, but the Toronto one certainly not. So uh, some interviews from the Devils staff, Kate Madigan, Dan McKinnon um, for general manager, and then Andrew Burnett is also getting, obviously, some calls for head coach uh, in other places. We'll see where that goes, and again, the Devils also mentioned that they're retaining Lindy Ruff officially. It's hard to argue against these results. It, it really not, is no. difficult to say um, that he does not deserve to be back, given the fact that he has literally led to the most success in the regular season, in a single regular season that they had um, this year. And again, this is just the beginning of what should be the peak for this Devils team. So who better right. to lead it than someone they really like? Exactly. I mean, one of my main criticisms of the Florida Panthers last season was that, excuse me, you could say a lot of the same things about Andrew Burnett. You know, Joel Quenville was deservedly blacklisted from the NHL. Burnett was forced to take over and he bossed the team to their best season ever, ever, Dan, ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they won their first playoff series since 1996 under him. Oh, but he got swept by Tampa Bay. So we got to fire him and get Paul Maurice. And I understand this is odd to say now that, you know, as we're speaking, Florida's up 2 nothing on Carolina in the Eastern Conference Finals, and it's very possible Paul Maurice is lifting a Stanley Cup very soon. But lest we forget, Dan, this Florida team 
almost missed the playoffs. Like if I Pittsburgh mean, they're did two not Penguins blow... wins away from missing yeah. the playoffs. They Pen- are and the Penguins. Are... The Penguins had a choke against Chicago. They're Chicago. a Marshawn breakaway in Game Five from being home as well. Yeah. So it is close in the yeah, margins, my, my, but my again, point is, it's, it's yeah. My point is, is that I felt it was dumb of them to fire Burnett because, as an organization, Dan, it, it sends the message of having historical success isn't good enough for us for some inexplicable reason. So I think in the case of the Devils, I think they're doing it the right way by saying, look, even if there are questions about whether or not Ruff can handle a, an aggressive one-two-two forecheck, which by the way, expect Carolina to use it. Expect Florida does it as well. So don't be surprised if you start seeing more teams play like that. So it's going to be really important for the coaching staff under Ruff to figure out some strategies against it because they're going to see it a lot more, I think, in the next couple seasons. Um, but again, you have to reward success. Otherwise, what's the message that you're sending to other coaches? Like, I understand the end goal is to get a Stanley Cup. I get that. But it can't be all or nothing here. I think... It's the easiest decision. You led our team to 52 wins. You led our team to 112 points. You led our team to a comeback victory in the first round. You led our team for guys that have some of the best seasons they've ever had in their careers. I mean, you can come back. Who better to reward this? (laughs) Who who better to instill this resilience than someone who is literally booed after the second game of the season? I mean, he, he, he represents a lot of, what had you know the devils really yeah. turn around their fortunes this year those first couple seasons with the devils were not very good at all no. and again things were at a fever pitch but they turned around and it, it, it's marked that the results were you know, whatever lineup the decisions yeah. whatever lineup decisions you agree with you don't agree with so be it but for the most part he pushed the right buttons at the right times this yeah. year i mean he got he really, a lot more right than he got wrong yeah he squeezed a lot out of these players and hopefully he gets to do so again and um, he will, yeah, deservedly so. Burnett may be elsewhere, but that's a that's a future Devils problem. That's a future and, problem. Yeah, they'll find someone else for the power play, which wasn't very good anyway. But that well, being said, um, we eagerly await to see. You know, it's an exciting time in the NHL where there's four southern markets. Southern, I say in quotes. Southern markets in the um, conference finals. And it is exciting to see them all go to overtime. The parity is sky high. I mean, you're seeing the Panthers. It's interesting enough. You're seeing the Panthers and Miami Heat basically on twin runs uh, in the NBA and NHL. Identical eight seeds just moving on and on and on. Resilience embodied in South Florida. But it's cool to see where, um, you know, markets in the NHL are expanding. But uh, one thing I did want to mention on this podcast is the fact that the Arizona Coyotes, another one of those types of teams, uh, in those southern markets, just really can't seem to get a foothold on a place to build a new arena. No. And I don't know where things stand now, but as it seems, they can't get any place to agree to house them in a new complex. So they'll be playing at Arizona State again next season, but who knows after that? Just worth mentioning that it sucks for those fans. It really sucks that they have to experience this. It stinks that their owners are not, um, they, they've never really found good ownership in the desert. And as someone no. with, you know, someone who knows people from Phoenix who are fervent supporters of the sports teams, they're bummed about this. It's hard to watch um, your team kind of get put through the ringer. And every time you think it's going to turn around, they just somehow the ownership gets worse and worse. So I'm sorry to Coyotes fans. Hopefully things can turn around. And you know that the NHL will not let that go down without a fight. Um, Well, so expect something to happen there to 
try as hard as they possibly can to keep the Coyotes in Arizona, at least. Definitely not Phoenix, but in Arizona. Right. I mean, you know, the the public vote literally voted for a landfill over turning into an entertainment complex. And, you know, this is another failure of ownership of the Coyotes. Because say what you want about Alex Morello. He has money. Yeah. And the deal that was work, being worked out with Tempe... Tempe taxpayers and the city of Tempe were going to pay zero cents for the arena. The only thing that they were going to be on the hook for was the cleanup of that landfill site, which, by the way, they're going to have to do anyway because it's a landfill by a water source. Like, they're going to have to clean it eventually. Um, That was the only public thing on the hook. And my understanding is that Arizona, you know, knowing that they needed to win this election, they needed to win the vote, the referendum to uh, get this complex – they only kicked in about 250k for the for the um for the campaign. Like they had guys going, you know, executives yep. going door to door. The opposition, a union that doesn't even, you know, isn't even involved in the fight. They're just in it because I guess for, you know, philosophical and political reasons. They they spent over 2.5 million on this. It's like, yep. hey Arizona, this is like, hey Coyotes. This is if it's not going to be this unless some other part of Arizona is going to miracle you in a, an arena. Like you could be gone. Yeah. Like put a little more effort than just half of a minimum NHL salary into this guys. Well, it's you know? a matter of like, how much yeah. do they care about being exactly? There? It's I almost want to suggest that maybe Alex, excuse me. He's thinking that if they move to Houston or they move to Portland or they move to Salt Lake city, that he gets a share and he could just, I don't know collect some money or something like that it, it definitely it definitely raises questions of how serious ownership is but you nailed it at the beginning dan the team has never had good ownership and we saw this with atlanta the thrashers mm-hmm. you know a market that could be a very strong market for hockey could have been an important point of development but ownership never either cared or never was willing to spend enough the teams were never all that good so of course, who's going to want to fight for it when when you know push comes to shove? And then lots of people, mostly in Canada, get to say, "Oh, well, that's just they just don't care about hockey down there. It's too warm there. It's not a hockey town." Well, you didn't even give it a chance. Yeah, you know, it's it's like it's it's like you buy a plant and don't water it. Oh, the plant died. What a sub. What a surprise. Did like, you know you that take uh, care of it. Las Vegas has more Canadian-born players than the Toronto Maple Leafs? Well. They also have uh, more of an idea of what success looks like, Dan. How about that? Yeah, what a surprise. Imagine, more, maybe there is no correlation. Well, what they don't have, Dan, is a Shanna plan. Mm. Which, of course, now Toronto doesn't have because of the drama over their GM. And that's a great example of give you a sense of where the Devils are. Like, maybe you're a little salty about the Devils losing to Carolina. You're especially salty over the fact that Florida is, you know, beating them 2 nothing. even though I would say they're kind of lucky that they're up 2 nothing, but... It ain't about luck anymore, guys. It's about results. It's it's the ultimate. Uh, the playoffs are the ultimate win, and and nobody will care about how you do it. Uh, it's about all about getting those fat dubs, Dan. Yeah. Um, but uh, the Devils are on the rise, right? They've got core players. There's going to be open questions about if Jesper Bratt's going to be a core player for a long time. If Timo Meyer's going to be a core player for a long time. I'm sure some people were questioning Dougie Hamilton because he had a poor playoffs. However, he revealed that he he had a gnarly wrist injury from the Ranger series, mm-hmm. which would explain why he wasn't so good against Carolina. Because, you know, if your wrist is hurting, you can't really shoot very well or do very much on the ice. Um, nevertheless, Dan, Toronto, fi- let their GM go days after 
days all, after saying that they were going to keep them. And yeah, that were, very dramatic. Well, I mean, it's one of those cases where, you know, I think frustration just got to a head. And the, the Toronto situation is not a very good situation cap-wise. Say what you want about the Devils. They have a lot of free agents to contend with, but that means there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of moving parts. Mm-hmm. It's tough, but it's manageable. For Toronto, on the other hand, they're, they're you know, Austin Matthews, I was, I was half-jokingly saying Austin to Tempe after 2024, because this contract ends after next season. You know, John Tavares is on the hook for another three seasons. Mitch Marner's on the hook for another three seasons. William Nylander's on the hook for another two seasons. Riley Morgan, he he's extended all the way to 2030, so he's sticking around. That's your core, Dan. They're committed to that core for th- this coming season. Do you mean Dan. Morgan Riley? Morgan Riley. Who did I <laughs> Riley Morgan. <laughs> I read his name backwards. I cut friendly. <laughs> My apologies. He has two last names. What do you want me to do? He has two and first it, names the same way. Uh, anyways, <laughs> the point is, is that whoever is coming in as GM is, is you know, they've got no picks for this coming year up until they have Boston's first, and then they have a fifth, a sixth, and a seventh. Like mm-hmm. they have a first rounder in 2024, which I gotta think is they're gonna treat like it's gold. Um, but this is a win now team that isn't winning. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and, you know, I can understand Dubas's frustration saying, oh, you know, so frustrating, so tough. I don't know if I can come back, which I'm sure puts Shanahan off because behind the scenes, they were talking extension. And then Dubas says, I don't want the deal extension we're talking about. I want more money. So Shanahan correct. I think correctly says you can't go to the public and say, this is so hard. And then behind the scenes, tell me, well, if you get kicking some, some more money, I'm I'm willing to be frustrated. Like, you know, it's definitely a bit of an ego and I got to get it from Shanahan's point of view, but now you're stuck with this, you know, who, who, who expects the new GM is going to suddenly come in and just change everything about Toronto to start winning some more games in the playoffs. No. Cause that's all it's been for Toronto at this point. You know, I understand the coping mechanism. They want so many points of the regular season. Rad. Can you not blow a three, one series to Boston? Can you not lose to Montreal in the, in the bubble? Can you not, you know, Go up against a Florida team and just get out coached, out worked, out hustled, out played. Like, can you can you give us? You, you're spending all this money. You're doing all this work. You, you had the Shanna plan. It was working until Kyle Dubas took over. Now, now what do you got? The Devils, on the other hand, hey, they're going to contend for a while, Dan. As I long hope as so. Tom Fitzgerald doesn't lose his mind, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, start throwing stupid money contracts like the one he gave to Andres Palat, but. That's the difference. That's, that's, you know, it, it's not really a good, healthy practice to compare yourself to other teams and other organizations, but in a closed system like the NHL, you kind of have to do that, right? Yeah. It's natural to do that. And the devils are set up for future success quite well, even though I'm going to promise you this coming season, Dan, is not going to be as good as this one, just because I don't think a 13 game heater is going to happen. I don't think Dawson Mercer is going to have an eight game goal streak again. And, you know, I don't think they're going to be able to swing a trade for a guy like Timo Meyer without giving up a regular beyond Fabian Zetterlou. Like this team is going to have to go through some changes, but I still think they're going to be a playoff team. I still think they're going to do some damage in the playoffs. And, you know, you get the luck, you get get some hot goaltending. You can go on a really strong run with this team. The Devils are set up for that. But a team like Toronto, their window is closing. And now after years of saying Pittsburgh's window was open, their window is closed for sure. You know, they're looking for a new GM, as you said. Their yeah. team is in a real messy situation. They just had a healthy season of Crosby, Malkin, and Latang, and they literally choked away the playoffs. Um, 
you know, a team like Washington, they're basically saying, you know, Ovechkin will chase Gretzky's record and cool if we make the playoffs. If not, whatever, dude, we're going to be, we're going to be rebuilding soon anyway. Um, You know, the Devils are in a position where they could really take hold in this division. Um, And that's, I think, the biggest accomplishment of this season is the fact that the Devils demonstrated how they can do that, even even with the knowledge that all the great things that we just saw, Dan, are not likely to happen again in 23-24. Well, it's about building upon it. So you notice from these teams in the playoffs, I mean, yeah, you have a lot of high seeds in there, but also you have the Florida Panthers. We've seen six seeds win. We've seen eight seeds win. At a certain point, yeah. At a certain point, it's not so much about how you do in the regular season, but you do enough to get there and build the good habits that you can build on in the playoffs. I think they had to experience that level of success and not getting too high or too low at least once. And now they can really move on and explore, you know, how they want to navigate a season, knowing that the playoffs are on the horizon. So that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah. Um, that's what I really want to know that, you know, what the future of the Devils looks like. So um very much looking forward to that and i think at this point you know we're, we're talking about other teams so we, we might as well wrap up and let the chips fall where they may so um as we watch these conference finals play out it's sure to be an exciting stanley cup final um you know more exciting than the second round was but hopefully we get you know good news about the devils playing in the world uh, world junior not world junior sorry international championships we get good news about the devils um signing things in free agency we get good news about the prospects doing well that's really all we can hope for at this point yeah and it's and and for all of you wondering hey when is this all going to happen so here at all about the jersey uh we're basically in off-season mode you know um because the devils aren't playing so of course they are but uh we're covering prospects with that second round pick. So it's a lot of reaches. It's not the top guys and what is uh, thought to be a very strong first rounder for forwards. If you want forwards, this first round's got all of them, baby. I almost want to slap the top of the car and say, this thing is loaded with forwards. Um, Cause it is. Um, but um, you know, good teams find value in all rounds and the devils have demonstrated how to do that with Schmid, with Sharon Govich, with Brett, excuse me. Um, it may not be Arseny Gritziak. Apparently, Ska signed him to an offer sheet, so that's probably not going to happen this season, at least. Uh, uh, you're going to do your work there. We're going to be covering all the different free agents at All About the Jersey. We're looking at all the Devils free agents first before we talk about you know potential guys that the Devils could be targeting or should not be targeting, as well as potential trade targets. But all the main activities are going to be basically happening at the end of June. Literally the end of June, Ned. You've got the NHL Awards on June 26th, which is a Monday. The draft is on the 28th and the 29th, which is a Wednesday and a Thursday. You got the first day of free agency is on July 1st, which is a Saturday. Somewhere in the middle of all that, Dan, we're going to get an NHL schedule. And as confirmed to me by, you know, my season ticket holder rep at the New Jersey Devils, there's going to be a developmental camp sometime in the summer. Um, But the main activities are going to be, you know, that last week of June where I'm, I got to think RFAs have to be qualified before July 1st. So there's going to be a lot of decisions being made and a lot of activities happening in that final week of June. So everybody take a deep breath, enjoy, enjoy the upcoming Memorial day holiday, watch some playoff hockey without any stakes involved, unless I don't know, you have stakes involved Um, because you got some time to kill, but not a lot of time, Dan. It's almost a little over a month away. 
it's it's nicer being closer to hockey having lost later in the year. Certainly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it, I, I'm okay with not having two months of prospect profiles. I'm okay yeah. with just a month as a change. I can get used to having game recaps and previews in May. You know, I, I yeah. can get used to that. I would prefer it to be in June, but first things first. Definitely way more fun this way. But anyway, as always, thank you for listening. And remember to uh, curse the name of the Chicago Blackhawks for getting the best prospects since Connor McDavid, yeah, uh, despite their many transgressions against the NHL and general morality. And that being said, uh, we'll catch you next time as the uh, season wraps up and we look ahead to the offseason and the reshaping of the New Jersey Devils. See you next time. Yeah.